tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you a penny to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, listeners react to the sexual abuse at Spiritons Run Schools. We have more reaction to the decision by Paws Animal Rescue Centre not to take in uh, more animals. Uh, Hidden histories with Dr. Connor Reedy. I'm a celeb, get me out of here. The celebrity fees are revealed and they will certainly shock you, I'm sure. The Gardaí will keep us up to speed on what's been happening around the county and, boy, do we have gorgeous live music for you today. The wonderful singer Karen Casey is live in studio with us. I'm looking forward to that. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp. Only three three double one double three double one. You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Quick look at the headlines today. The Irish Daily Mail has their headline 100,000 without a bed in a hospital this year. More than 100,000 people seemingly have gone without beds in hospitals this year, as research warns that patients' lives are being shortened as a result. And that story is across several of the newspapers today. The Irish Times planned to link, this is an interesting one, planned to link job seekers' benefit to previous earnings. High earners could receive larger welfare payments if they lose their job uh, under fresh proposals to go to the Cabinet uh, before Christmas. Also on the Times today, poor countries will need, wait for it, €2 trillion euro a year in funding by 2030 to cope with climate breakdown. That's according to a new report. And they're warning that a financial um, issue uh, needs to come into sharper focus at uh, COP27, which is currently ongoing, as you know. The Irish Examiner, they have that story about the hospital beds as well. They're also telling us that the HSE issued a stark warning to the government that extending the uh, licensing uh, hours could lead to an increase in assaults and drink driving incidents as well. The Irish Indo, and they're telling us that the Garda Commissioner has linked the cost of living crisis to a sharp rise in the number of thefts. And high inflation levels could also be to blame for the significant increase in thefts from shops being reported since April this year. So that's a quick peek at what's making headlines today. If you have a comment on any of those headlines, 83 Now, child protection experts have said Ireland has a responsibility to ensure its dark history of clerical abuse never happens again. It's after more allegations of child sexual abuse in schools run by the Spurton Order have come to light. The order says it expects more survivors to come forward after disclosed 233 men have allegedly been abused. Helen joins me now. Good morning to you, Helen. Good morning, Fran. How are you? Good to talk to you today, Helen. You think it's, you know, horrific what's going on, Helen? It is, yes. That is still going on on, and that is still taking so long for for the abused people to come forward and say, this happened to me 20 or 30 years ago, as in the case of those two men 
who were on RTE recently. Did you hear that uh, particular documentary, Helen? No, I've actually read about it, yeah. but I will be watching it on catch-up. Yeah, it's, 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 it's tough going. It's very hard yeah. listening, I have to say, because what they went through was absolutely horrific, and it destroyed their lives, you know. Yes, that's it. You see, the abuse isn't done and dusted and over in five years. It impacts people forever. Yeah. And I know that in some cases people have taken their lives because they can't live with the brutality of what has happened to their entire beings. Yeah, and I was... And re- in a, yeah, yeah, and in background where for so many years it was ignored because they said there would have been students at the time and they would have known they would not have been believed because the mm-hmm. Holy Fathers or, or whatever cleric involved would be put on a pedestal and therefore any child would be a liar automatically. Yeah, and it seems to me from what I've been listening to and reading as well is that these paedophiles, they were... You know, not only were they grooming the children, they were grooming the parents as well. You know, they were getting in extremely cosy with the families so that they were perceived to be decent people and looking after the kids and all of that. You know, they were very clever at what they did. It's sociopathic behaviour as well. That's what that is, you know, cozying up with family, coming across it being lovely and kind and nice and behind that being heartless. Um, the B word, yeah. How did they manage to perpetrate these horrific crimes on young boys and still go and celebrate the sacraments and, you know, celebrate Mass? And I, I, how can you get your head around that? No, I cannot. The hypocrisy of it is just unbelievable. Um, we see the hypocrisy right through so many areas of our. Christianity and other non-Christian um, churches that they can do one thing and and then turn around and say, well, actually, I'm God's God's man here and uh, don't question me. And their conscience allows them to get away with this criminality. Yeah, and they orchestrated their way into positions where they could abuse kids. So it was all very premeditated, you know. Do you know, what I find very creepy too is that, you know, on that brand, that many years ago, if you needed a letter of recommendation, one of the people you were suggested to go to was a priest. Now, I am certainly not saying that every priest is suspect because that is not the case. But that priests were considered to be um, on a pedestal and above reproach and that they would never do anything wrong. And I was on that, that they abused their power and then they abused children and children were left in a position of utter vulnerability. Um, One of the things as well that I found particularly sad is that, you know, the boys didn't complain, complain to the parents because they were made to fear that reaction. They couldn't tell the parents because they weren't sure how they would react because of the programming by the priest. This is it. I, I happen to know from a case that was very close to me many years ago, Fran, that the person who was abused would not say it to their siblings, their parents, or to the staff at the school because they were certain they would not be believed. This person was on a pedestal 
and I did, and that this person, a student, not to be believed because the person, the, the abuser was on a pedestal, and it's that kind of thinking that was was certainly strong uh, twenty or more years ago that clerics were above question. They had that collar, and that collar gave them some kind of sanctity. For people who didn't read about or hear uh, the documentary, it focused on Mark and David Ryan, two two brothers who were abused in uh, Blackrock, and um, they didn't even reveal that to each other, even though they were only three years apart in, in age. They didn't reveal that even to each other, don't mind to say, their parents. I know, I found that so heartbreaking, but yet again, most certainly from the era they came from, that would definitely have been the case. They couldn't have spoken to each other because if they spoke about it, this became real, whereas maybe they were playing in their head, it'll go away, it'll go away. You know, terrified, terrified little boys whistling in the dark. It's so heartbreaking. I could think that they're carrying this now and it has destroyed their lives and they were enwrapped in secrecy, keeping secret something that was done to them that should never have happened. They were put in a in a place where their parents thought they'd be safe and instead the people who were in local parentis abused them. And that's beyond any reproach and it's completely unforgivable. And this was a fee-paying school. It's seen as being one of the finest schools in the country and all of that. Um, so all the more reason why parents might think they were protected and looked after. Exactly. They, exactly. They were thought that these people are fine and there was the Holy Ghost Fathers then and had a great name. Yeah. But just because children were unable to speak up and say, this is happening to me. That And I was on that climate of fear that these clerics have, have, had thrived. Mark and, and David Ryan then, they finally sort of you know, shared their experiences with themselves and indeed with their parents, but not until they were in their their 40s. But the final nail in the coffin for them must have been the decision by the Supreme Court in 2007 that because the priest, Tom O'Byrne, was 87 and because the events referred to had been fired in the past, the case should not proceed. So he did not pay any price for the destruction of these lives. And that is horrific because they are being told. Because do you know there's still those young boys, even though they're now men in their 60s, there's still those young boys, and they're being told, you don't matter, the state is still going to cover up for the for the people who abused you. And do you, Fran, do you know that uh, there are over 300 Irish schools on a register of where children have been sexually abused? 300, Helen. I was looking at the list this morning and um, I was horrified. That's such an insightful thing you just said because, sorry, that stopped me in my tracks when you said that even though David is 61, uh, David is 58, Mark is 60, you said inside there's still these frightened little boys. Yes, that's exactly it because uh, there's kind of like an inside child inside of us, but when somebody's being sexually abused, that child stays wrapped up very tightly inside the adult and impacts everything. So they certainly are those young 12 to 17-year-old boys 
who were destroyed by this by these Holy Ghost fathers. There's talk as well, you know, of because there was a number of priests obviously involved in um, in abusing young boys in Black. There's talk about a paedophile ring there, and you'd wonder how that. I mean, there must have been rumours. Even among the kids, there was rumours about some of these guys. That must have gotten to the to the top brass of the Spiritans at some point or other. Wouldn't you imagine? I would think so. And you see, here is the thing. They mind the flock, but they most certainly mind their, what we call their shepherds, best of all. So they look after each other and they... The children or whoever they're supposed to be administering to come second or third place, but they will look after each other. That's what matters most. That's what their God, their God tells them. I couldn't believe as well that when a complaint was finally made to the school, Tom O'Byrne, the priest in question, he was moved somewhere. He was sent somewhere. We don't know where. But he arrived back after three months and continued on with his abusing. That is just, yet again, it beggars belief, but it shows the arrogance that was perpetrated that these boys didn't matter. And they just thought it would just, the, the clerics thought it would just go away. The people would forget that what, what happened. But they'll never forget. How could you ever, ever forget such an abuse of a body uh, emotions and spirits and all in the hands of men of God. Are you under any doubt whatsoever, Helen, that out there probably listening to us today are people who have been abused in these situations but can't talk about it and might never talk about it, in fact? I know there are. I actually know there are because there's because there certain circumstances I'm too well aware of people who have been unable to come forward and go, yes, I was abused because there is such um, a fear of what will happen if it explodes out of their head? Will I be believed? Because some of the things coming through in the news are disturbing, such as what happened to their own boys. Like, why would you go forward, speak about this, and then have it blow up in your face and you may feel even a bigger piece of poop than you felt right through the years of that abuse? And I know you won't name anybody to me, Helen, no, but no, are you, are you, just, are you saying that you're aware of people who have kept this to themselves because yes. of those fears? Yes. And I said, I cannot name because if I say, or I certainly can't even name an area because that would be, I, would, I actually know that if I named one particular school, there would be people going, I know who she's talking And can I ask you, are these lives... You know, has this been destructive to these lives, Helen? It has been in terms of, apart from the fear of dealing with people, uh, suicide attempts, uh, eating disorders, disorders, addiction, that's just the start of it. I was reading something else. I know you'll be horrified for this, but one of the perpetrators said to a young boy, Helen, you can't tell anybody... Nobody is going to believe a, a young lad like you against a priest. And don't forget, we can get you expelled. You have brothers that are following you up and they won't be allowed into school. You and your family will be disgraced. Yeah, you see, 
that and I, I have read about this before about how the threats that have been administered. Um, I'll kill you. Um, just anything to silence the child, and the, a child will believe because they're still forming their minds, they're still learning from people, and what that learn is based on fear. It's um, all encompassing. Do you think that this is no longer happening, Helen? I think it's still happening, definitely. Uh, it may be um, less so, but it is happening. Sexual abusers do not go away. They just find other ways of of, of doing their filthy deeds and uh, silencing their victims. It's amazing. When I, I'm not sure if you heard my conversation with Father Sean Sheehy following his controversial homily last week. But when he was talking to me, and he was fairly hardline in his beliefs about Catholicism and one thing and another, but time after time it came in on our text and WhatsApp, ask him about the abuse, ask him about the abuse, you know. Um, it, it's very close to people's hearts in terms of how horrified they are by all of these revelations. Yes, of course it would be. And it was what I was thinking to ask him about the abuse because, and he was aware of it and apparently had spoken about it and it was ignored or pushed to the side. And this is what's been happening with the, with the Catholic and most likely all the other churches too, because the Catholic churches are not alone in their abuse. But but to you And it's not just Ireland. Yeah, but to use the position of being, you know, yeah. a priest and to, to use the position of teacher and all of that and to abuse that position by being monstrous to these kids, it's just un, un, unbelievable indeed. Can I can I ask you about your own faith, Helen? I, I well, I'm not a Christian. Yeah. I'm a very spiritual person. Yes. You know, I have a higher power and um, I meditate because for me meditation is listening to my higher power and the form of prayer I have is speaking to my higher power and that's speaking so speaking and listening a communication going on there and were you brought up in a, a Catholic household Helen? Well, um, for the first few years yes my yes. father had been a Christian brother yes and he left before final orders and then he met my mum soon afterwards to get married and then we came along and when I was about three or four years old, my dad pulled away from the Catholic Church. And then I started pulling away, young and all as I was. Yes. I remember stuff that happened to him, which is another story, and I certainly won't speak about it, Fran. But, um, but did he have an unfortunate experience training to be a Christian brother, Helen, if yeah, you don't oh, yeah, Yes. Oh, yes, he did. And this is... He mentions a little of it in a, in a book he has written about it called Once a Brother. So I can actually speak of it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, he did, yes. But that but would have informed... The he left. Oh, okay. But that would have informed you in terms of, I suppose, a lot of this stuff coming to light now, would it? If, yes, it would have informed me at quite a young age. So much so that um, when, when certain things happened to me, I spoke up. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So, you, Just, yeah, you, you were aware of this even as a young child? Even as a young child, yes. Right. 
Um, yes, so then it's a pulled away from the Catholic Church. And as the years went on, I was kind of back and forth. But the last uh, 15, 16 year, years, I've completely left Christianity behind or any formative religion. Right. And would the stories of abuse have played a part in that decision? or It would have played part of it, but not all of it. It would have been so much hypocrisy, I've seen from the church. It would have been what happened to them in the mother and baby homes. Yes. It would have been things like um, uh, money being stolen from the Catholic Church by clerics. Mm-hmm. It's the ongoing hypocrisy of you, you do this, but I'm going to do that and don't question me. And then looking around a priest living in a big house on his own and we have so much homeless. And they speak about our homelessness and they will not bring these people into their own homes to share their their, their rooms. And yes, they are supposed to be representatives of Jesus Christ who would never have done that stuff. So, In fact, he got into a fine big rage because Jesus Christ was a guy who'd lose the head are quite you, easily. Are you, you know? are you saying that the ideals of Christianity have been lost in the church? Is that it? I think so, yeah. yes. And I think that they, when the great residentism happened and Catholicism was formed, that a lot of men-based ideas were put forward and mostly ones to mask women and downgrade women and put these men into positions of power. That's what happened with the Great Western Chism. Uh, people could buy their ways out of purgatory. There was just so much stuff that, that goes on in the history of Catholicism that made move away from Christianity. That's right. You could pay... God, you're bringing me back memories now. You could pay for... What What did they... They had a name on that. Yes. It was um, an indulgence, wasn't it? Indulgence. Was it a yes. plenary indulgence or something? Was, that's exactly it, Fran, Yes. Like, when you think of it, what nonsense, you know, that you could pay for something like that. I know, yeah. And to think that also that babies, if they were um, not baptised, that they went to purgatory. So poor parents are trying to buy their babies out of purgatory. Limbo, Limbo. rather, sorry, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, limbo, you're right. Yeah, I hear no talk about limbo now. I must have no. They got rid of limbo, but the cruelty. And now my two of my brothers died very young. One died at birth, and one died when he was a few months old. And I was told, well, according to the church, one went to limbo, and that was the oldest John, oh. and the other was was fine. He was in heaven, and I was thinking this is wrong. I was um, four years old. And I thought, why? And how, why? Did, how did your poor mother and father deal with that, you know? Well, my father had left the church had at the okay. stage. And my mother just... Do you know, at that time, we're talking about 1963, 64, yes. and women just, as such, had to get on with it. But every single Christmas, they cried. I remember when I was working in the Midlands, uh, a couple told me about the father having to go because, again, the child died shortly after birth. The The father had to go at 12 o'clock at night and bury yeah. the child in unconsecrated ground. Yeah, and my dad had to do the same with, um, with John. I know where he's buried, but that's what had to happen. And a neighbour, they put together a little coffin and they had to go at midnight to bury the little baby. And poor John had never even drawn a breath. And 
thank goodness things have changed because that was outrageous. My my little granddaughter was stillborn in 2020, and uh, thankfully my daughter and her partner could get a certificate of her stillbirth, and they were allowed to have a ceremony for. Which was was the way things should be, of course, yes. and uh, the way the. Yeah. Um, could I finally get a comment off you, if you would, Helen? B was on to me to say, Fran, as a survivor myself, the lay people knew what was going on with these abusers and they're just as complicit in their silence about the abuse that happened to us children. What What do you make of that, Helen? Did people know, do you think? Oh, I think in some cases they did know. Yeah. They suspected something was going on, but said nothing, looked the other way, because they were being told your jobs will be in danger or whatever. But then you... Helen, I really appreciate you coming on with me today. Um, and uh, thank you so much. I hope it didn't bring back too many no, awful no, no, memories thank for you. you. No. Helen, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you very much, thank Fran. You. Thank you. Bye-bye, you know. That's Helen. Um, how do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp, 083 Double three, double one. Fran, I believe some, not all priests and nuns and Christian brothers got God a bad name. Limbo was written off years ago. Don't forget the stations had to be paid for or your name wouldn't uh, be read from the altar if you didn't pay. God, I remember that. You bring me back such memories now. Um, yeah, I remember that. They'd read out the whole list of people and how much money you gave to the to the collection and all of that. Um, Fran, people are still paying for masses and uh, celibacy is a disgrace says somebody else to us here uh, Lister says why do people still lodge at the Catholic Church why would Helen say I'm not a Christian since the first followers of Christ Christ were called Christians that's into us on 083 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111. Now, much reaction to uh, Helen's chat with me. Barbara says all paedophiles should be named and shamed, but the law protects them uh, for their own safety. As I said, bring back hanging and torture, says uh, Barbara to us uh, today. They are not men of God, they're men of the devil, says Nancy, who's listening to us in Burren County Offaly today. Patrick was on to say Helen is right. The fear of speaking out, even as an adult, uh, you still have a fear of uh, speaking out about this. Um, Limbo and purgatory, somebody said, was sold off to Nama. Amazing stuff, says Martin, who's in uh, Templemore uh, today. Um, somebody is saying it's important to point out that this horrific abuse happened at a time when hitting your children was common to the point that you were odd if you didn't. Why would a child report their abuser to somebody who beats them? Something to think about for all the people who claim that hitting children never hurt anybody. Isn't that a very interesting point? Indeed, yeah. Um, thank you for that. 083 311 Now, we spoke to Graham King 
a few weeks ago and he told us about the desperate situation that he found himself in, being homeless himself, his wife and his two kids. Um, forced to sleep in a tent after finding themselves unable to secure any rental property across North Tipperary, even, in fact, even into Counties Clare and Limerick. Then we heard from Graham again that the family was housed in a hostel uh, accommodation in Cashel. Um, uh, Graham joins me now. Good morning to you, Graham. Good morning again, Fran. And uh, you're very welcome back, uh, Graeme. Uh, you posted on TikTok. Now, you told me last time about the accommodation in Casual. It wasn't ideal, but at least you were there and, you know, there was a roof over the head of your family, at least. But now what has happened? Um, all, I, I'm, I'm at a loss myself. Um, I, I go down to the, uh, the, the homeless department in Kenyon Street, Nina, every Tuesday, I hand in my forms where we um, we basically fill out everything we've applied for and they take pictures and they hand it back. Uh, the conversation progressed from how uh, tight housing was in Tipperary to um, getting my kids off the street for Christmas to basically just being told straight after, I want you out of the um, emergency accommodation by Tuesday. And I pushed them on that and I was like, you realise you're making me homeless again, and now I have to go hunting down, you know, camping equipment again. And the word I got back was, and I can quote unquote this woman, um, that came from the top. Um, we thought we would have you housed sooner, but we were wrong, and they want us out. I don't understand what's happening. We paid our dues to the hostel. We were not involved in any antisocial behaviour and we kept ourselves to ourselves and um, then we were told to get out. Now, there's there's conflicting uh, stories. Uh, we were told it was long-term to begin with and now we're told it's short-term. So I'm, I'm basically going into the council offices today to see who's at the top and who made that decision because I need answers. But how can a local authority make a decision to turf a family out with no accommodation to go to, with no arrangement made? Um, well, they can't, because I was on the phone to uh, Owen O'Brien um, not long before I, call, I uh, called you, and he said they can't, they can't do that. Yeah, on, on, on housing, they basically yeah. can't do that, yeah. Um, I do have to get in contact with the housing minister because he was in contact with them and with the council, and that was basically the reason I think that we got um, the emergency accommodation. Uh, but as regards what Owen said, he said they can't basically unless they have offered you accommodation um, of a suitable standards, which they haven't. Uh, they can't kick you out, and mm-hmm. he basically said just sit there. And, and and stay there. Well, it would be my opinion as well that they can't just turf you out. I mean, did you say to them, well, look, we're, we're going to have to go back into a tent? Is that, hey, that's is that acceptable? That's exactly what I said. Uh, yes, I told them that. I told them exactly we were going to have to basically go day 55 in a tent and we wouldn't even be going in a tent because I donated all that stuff to someone who needed it. So you don't even have that um, I don't even have now. the tent and all the equipment. I have to go back now and get all that again. Um, assuming that we don't get a place by Tuesday, uh, we're going to be stuck in the car. And to be honest, I think with the weather that's coming, I, I wouldn't fancy uh, putting um, any of my family in a tent. We, we basically have to be in the car. And just uh, forgive me if you don't mind, uh, can I remind people again that you're 
two children are on the autistic yeah, spectrum. And they are. I, again, I would wonder about disturbing their routine um, that maybe they've gotten Just, into yeah, at this point. We, we, no, look, um, they have, it, it's been, there's been tension. I'm not going to lie. It's a small, it was, it was a small room, but we worked with it. And we kind of kept them uh, distracted from each other and just entertained, basically. And yeah, and, and what what, what do you mean? There's been just, what do you mean? There's been tension, Graham. Well, I mean, any two kids in a room cooped with up each other. like that, yeah. Yeah, and I mean the thing is too that like he just had his eleventh birthday a couple of days back mm. in the hostel, and it, he's now at the age. Uh, by council recommendations, where he's not allowed to share a room with a sibling of the opposite sex. Mm. So I, I, I just, I find this, I know, and they had talked about getting our kids into a house, and that was their top priority, this, that, the other. And and now we find through no fault of our own, um, we are, out, we're going to be out on the street if we don't get a place by Tuesday. But... <laughs> What I mean, I'm just wondering what you're going to do. Like, will you leave the hostel? Will you? You probably have to get more tent equipment or something. Is that is that what uh, well, you have in mind? I, uh, to be honest, I had until, um, like I said, until until I rang Owen and and he basically said no, don't, right. because they haven't offered you anywhere, nor have they tried. Um, and I'm I'm going to be honest, like, um, we did our best as regards um, viewings and all that and we had quite a few viewings but like just landlords are not willing to rent to families but I, I think at the, at the behest of what Owen O'Brien said I think I'm, I'm going to sit stay. I'm going to sit I'm going to stay um, we're going to see what happens but I, I have a funny feeling it could be more trouble than it's worth um, Alright do you mind if we contact you on Tuesday and just to find out oh, how, by all means. how you're doing yeah. is that okay? Yeah anyway. That's no problem in the least. Right. Uh, do, you, do you want to use this platform to talk to local representatives there, Graham? Do you want to say anything to them? Um, look, as regards local representatives, uh, council members, their hands are tied. I know this. We, we've been trying to get... We've been trying to go through them from the get-go. It didn't work. Um, Alan Kelly's been a big supporter from the get-go. Um, we have to take the tall route because uh, no offence to any of the councillors out there but they're useless. We have found them to be incredibly inept at trying to do anything. Um, we passed on information to them looking for private landlords. We explained the case to them and the case went to the, the woman at the top of the housing department. We knew we weren't entitled to social housing. Um, that was never an issue. We, we didn't want what we weren't entitled to. Um, this is because your wife is working, us, isn't it? Yes, yeah. that's it. And when, when they got back to us, they had all passed their, their um, queries up the line to the wrong person. What we wanted was a counsellor that maybe could help us to twist the arm or the leg of a local landlord to actually pull in a favour and see if they could um, get us a house on, on the, the private rental system. Mm -hmm. Like... We did, we knew we weren't entitled to um, social housing, but there was one or two councillors that actually knew what we meant. Chair mm. uh, Darcy was one of them, mm. and fair play to him. He did go out and try to uh, get us somewhere, but uh, it 
there was problems with the house, but he was one of the only people who understood what we said and what we messaged and actually went out and, and did what we asked him to do. All right. Well, Graham, we'll follow the story. Uh, as I say, if it's OK, we'll speak to you on Tuesday and we'll see how you're getting yep. on. Is that OK? In no the, problem. In the well. meantime, look after yourself. Thanks, Graham. Thank you, Thank you. Thank no you. Bye-bye, Jim. That's Graham King speaking. was there about the plight of himself and uh, his family. Let us, uh, let's uh, take a break. I'll be right back. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie I spoke to Helen at the top of the programme about the recent revelations about uh, abuse in uh, Spirit and Run uh, Colleges and Spirit and Run Schools. Teresa joins me now. Teresa, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Good to talk to you today, Teresa. Um, you have found all these revelations quite unbelievable, really. Um, unbelievable, but we know it's true. Um, what stuck out to me the most after the interview with the two boys, and I, first of all, I'm going to commend them for coming out. Yeah. Fair play to them. And you know what? Anyone should speak out. Never be afraid to tell the truth. It'll always come out in the end. Um, what stuck with me was the three words, our little secrets. Mm. Now, um, as you know, I'm involved with the Modern Baby Home, and mm. we listened to the boys who was brought up in industrial schools the same three words were always used to them. That was always the uh, same thing. Our little secrets. Our little secrets. That's what shocked me the most out of the interview because I said, my God, it's like talking to the people that was in the institutions that I know still alive and their stories are out there. Um, it just goes to show, I don't know how to say this without being insulting and I don't intend to be insulting to anybody. The religious orders had the full ways of ruining people's lives from the day you were born to the institutions to the day you left school. And yet in Ireland there has been no adequate ways of getting them brought to justice for it. They've been cover-up after cover-up. Now, I go outside Ireland because... As I say, my group is involved throughout the world. Yeah. You have the same anywhere religious orders went, anywhere the sent set up. It's the same throughout the world. You'll always hear stories coming back of being abused. And, you know, did we give them a great playing field by putting up these institutions and by putting them headed on a pedestal, as Helen said, and I quite agree with her, on a pedestal, because you had your little brother or your sister go back to your mother and say that happened, they wouldn't believe you. Mm. That is the mm. truth, you know. Mm. Um, shocking. It's shocking to today's world uh, because there is good priests and good nuns out there, don't get me wrong, and do try the best to help everybody. But by God, I don't know. I cry when you hear some of the stories. I mean, um, when I talk to the men now today that was buys and to see how much their life was interrupted, interfered with, and how they are paying for that, that did nothing to no one, but they are paying for that for the rest of their life. I was life. really struck by what Helen said to me, that even though these are grown men now, the little boy that was fearful and afraid is still inside them. 100%. And that is the way we have seen it, talking to the men that was in industrial schools. 100%. 
you know, there's still children at heart that are afraid because it's just the fear of God. I think them words, our little secrets, comes back to them each time. You know, the minute I heard the interview last night when I went through it, and I said, my God, I said, it's the exact same as any one of the lads that have taught me. And this is why I say, didn't we put some institutions there for us as people to black our children? It was so, so unfair. And of course, the institutions were infiltrated by these people who yeah. who realised in, in, a, in a very cynical sort of a way that this was an ideal ground in which that they could have access to children to little children, you know It was, friend, but I mean, they did this in the name of God. Now, I'm a believer in God. Uh, that's me, I just believe in God yeah. But, Mike, I can't see how God put a man of the thought or a nun to do these actions to the poor little creators. And for some of them, they thought it was normal. As one of the chaps there last night talked, he said he thought it was a normal grown-up. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people that did go through that did think it was normal because they weren't taught the education that you shouldn't, no one should touch you. Your life is your own. Well, you often say, well, why yes. is that the reason why they didn't let sex education into the schools at a younger age? You know... Well, that's, um, that's an interesting thought. Um, yeah, that's an interesting... And the, the other thing that struck me, and in your experience, I'd love to know your uh, opinion on it as well. Did the dogs on the streets know about this to some degree, do you think? I mean... Yes. Yes, they did. And they were afraid, I think... As you know and I know, the priests and the guards were king. Oh, yeah. Back, yeah. Going back. And were afraid, um, in case they disgraced the family, they didn't want to upset the apple cart. They didn't, I suppose, they probably didn't want to believe it, but did believe it. Does that sound right, friend, in the I way know. I'm trying to put no, it? it does. It does, Teresa. Yeah. yeah. It does, yeah. You know, a lot of people talked. I remember one particular person saying to me uh, when she was growing up, and she says um, when her brothers was when she started going out herself, um, her brothers used to say, "Stay away from the parish priests at dances." They were told that sort of a thing, and that has been said widely with a lot of them. Um, and I mean, I'm not again. I'm coming back again to the mother and baby issue. I mean, we have 97 priests. Ireland fathers and babies and um, I mean I don't mean to keep coming back to that the whole time but I, I, I can't see why they had to pick on the most vulnerable, the most easiest the most natural the most beautiful thing in the world of children and little boys and girls because they did pick on them. They picked on the ones that was afraid to say. Yes, They, they didn't they, come out and say it to Paddy or John up the road. Or you're right. They Mary picked or, on, on the yeah. most vulnerable. those, And, the and, and vulnerable. they groomed they the most vulnerable. They did. Know. Whether it be in institutions or whether it be in private schools or whatever. I mean, to me, it's barbaric. I... You know, I mean, I cried last night listening to the two boys and they're trying to get their lives together. It is a hell of a hard job. And I know it myself, talking to a couple of the men with the institutions, how hard it is to get their lives together and the dreams and the nightmares. 
They have. You'd wonder about the institutions accepting responsibility as well, because I know the Spurton congregation, for example, I think they paid out over five million in settlements surrounding the abuse claims and for some support services as well. But they paid the 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 people in question, but they made sure that they couldn't speak if they if they accepted the money. You know that they couldn't speak. Yeah, out. yeah. Yeah, that's the way it, it was, was done. It was part you, of the legal uh, settlement, you know. Technicality on the yeah. legal issue. Yeah, and it'd be something similar with the mother and baby issues too. If you get a payment, you're asked not to open your mouth after getting the payment. It's part of the legal technicalities coming up, which should be changed. To be honest, it should be changed. That's, I mean, you're yeah. you're allowed your freedom of speech. And through your no experience with, with the mother and baby homes, I mean, you, you, you know all about the legal aspect of this as well, but I have to get your opinion on what happened in the end with the two boys. And again, you listened to the... Yeah. But the Supreme Court made a decision at the end of all of the legal stuff, after the boys finally standing up and coming out and uh, saying what happened to them, the Supreme Court decided in 2007 that, you know, because your man, the priest in question, was 87 and the events were in the past, the case should not proceed. Can you imagine what that did to them? Um, I think it was disgusting, number one. I um, there is a trip there. I sent on to you there about the the five tra- uh, the the five um, transcript there going back in zero twelve, mm. uh, where they brought over the bishops, ninety uh, year old bishops over from um, say Rome to to side that were the people in it was letter frack I think at the time uh, were the telling the truth, uh, the youngsters uh, who were now grown men. I mean, to be honest, friend, how can a Supreme Court or judges or anyone rule on the people that knows what they've been through? No one knows it only themselves. We even say that with the Commission of Inquiries report when we did it. They didn't exactly put it out as truthful either. So how can you get someone that doesn't know the truth being on a commission and judging the people that does know the truth. You know, this is where I say church and state kind of stick together and the work I had that way. And, you know, the irony is that Tom Tom Byrne died, I think it was two years later, at 89. He died peacefully um, after, you know, inflicting this on, on, on these kids, you know. Yeah, well, um, there is a thing I always say, they say, you know, when you can die and if you ask God for forgiveness, he'll forgive it, he'll give you forgiveness. But I don't know, how can you ask anyone to give you forgive you for what you've just done? You know, no way. Not in that line, friend, I'll be honest. I tell you one thing, I couldn't do it. I know a few people that said they'll never forgive for what, what was done to them. And myself personally, I could not forgive anyone, even asking God. I wouldn't for- ask him to forgive anyone for doing that to people. And finally, I'm just I'm more than out of time, in fact. But I, I was reading a book recently about paedophilia, and it's, you know, it's horrifically interesting to see and to read that these guys who perpetrate this, they don't see anything wrong with what they're doing. They, oh, no, to They them don't it's see it as, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's you know. But you see, you look at it, friend, and I'll just make it quickly on this. Yeah. You look at it, if <clears throat> um, I was any of the perpetrators that does it, and again, going back, he never had his collar on, he never had his 
cloak, the vestments on. He was always in the underpants or whatever he had on him, or nude, when he went to torment these boys. So it was like as if when he took off his own vestments... He was divesting he, himself of that. Yes, 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 it's the best way in saying it, yes. Teresa, I must go, but thank you so much for coming on with me this morning, Teresa. No problem thank at you. all, friend. And you, thank you, you look so after much. yourself, and thank you very much indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. If you've been affected by any of the conversations we've been having this morning, just a couple of phone numbers for you. The Ray Crisis Helpline is 1800 77 That's 1800 The Samaritans on 116123. And Pieta House, 1800 247 247. And Emma will have. Uh, all that information if you want to give her a call. 1800-938-007. listener says, if you stand for the truth, you stand alone, Fran. Another listener says, priests don't become paedophiles. Paedophiles become priests. They have access to children. Men of God? No. Men of the devil. Uh, somebody else saying, a pope made a saint. Uh, he most likely knew of the abuse. We have religious cover-up and medical cover-up in this country. And God knows what else? And it goes on and on. Lots more coming in on that. Now, as you will have heard at the top of our news bulletin there, a proposal to house up to 70 Ukrainian refugees in holiday home accommodation in Pecan Village has been taken off uh, the table. I'm glad to be joined now by Tipperary Labour TD, Alan Kelly. Good morning to you, Alan. Morning, Fran. And thanks for your time this morning. We heard there during news where you welcomed this decision. But for people who might be certain, can you give me the background to this, Alan? So basically, um, um, some time ago, a company went to purchase uh, the cottages, 12 cottages down in Pocon. They're very well-known uh, cottages. They're, they stand out because, you know, they're the old-style uh, cottages and they're basically uh, used mostly um, for tourism, particularly in the summer. Um, and obviously they bring uh, visitors and revenue to the area uh, and the broader area. Um, and you know they're they're lovely. They're they're quite a, quite scenic in a scenic area. So there was a proposal um, to buy these, and uh, they approached the government with regards to uh, Roger Gorman's department, which looks after all the issues related to Ukrainian refugees and international asylum seekers, um, as regards using them to house uh, some of the international refugees, not Ukrainian international refugees. And um, the community obviously met about this. This has been widely reported and um, it was also raised in uh, the local council, to be fair to local councillors. And, you know, there was concerns, um, not in the principle, I suppose, of, of refugees coming to an area, but mm. like the between the speed signs in Pocon, there's about approximately 220 residents and there would be up to 70 people coming in and there's little or no transport links Um Obviously, the school there is full. In fact, I'm working very closely with uh, the principal down there, um, Barry Egan, to try and get a, a, a whole new development there for the school because it's, it's, it's basically not fit for purpose. It's a fantastic school, great culture, and does huge amount um, 
uh, even outside of the school uh, environment. It's, it's integral to the whole community. Uh, but, you know, it really needs to be extended and completely redone. Um, and also, obviously, there would be issues in relation to health care and all of these things. Mm. So the community met. But there was another concern, too. And I have to say, this is a broader issue. Um, you know, I'm very familiar with the area. Part of my own family originates and down there. Um, the, I mean, whether these houses would actually be appropriate, um, like they're mostly rented in the summer, mm-hmm. and you know, to put seventy people into them during a winter period. So, I mean, I, from a but, heating point of view, um, yeah, sorry, and, and, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, and look, we've had issues in other parts of the country. Um, I remember an issue that you probably remembered a couple of years ago in relation to a certain hotel in Cartagena that wasn't fit for purpose. Yeah. And there have been other cases as well. So I um, I approached Roger O'Gorman, who's the minister, and I have to say, very approachable person, and I like the way he does his business. Um, so I approached him, I expressed the concerns, and I put in a lot of questions on this. And then two weeks ago, before the midterm break, we had his department in with us in the Public Accounts Committee, I asked a whole range of questions as regards to the criteria that were used for selecting locations because I would have expected that if Bacon had been used, it would probably be the smallest location, one of the smallest locations in Ireland. Um, because generally speaking, when you're putting up refugees, etc., it's generally in, in more built-up urban areas where there are services. Mm. Mm. Um, so I asked all these questions. He, he thought they were legitimate questions. In fairness, which was a kind of a, a side issue, but he actually knows Bacon. Um, his parents, when they got married, first lived in Pocon. Go on. So he, right. Yeah, Small I know. Words, yeah, the, the, the things, things you find out. Uh, what so what was, is the criteria? What did you find from him? Well, on, when, on I, when I asked, when I asked in the public council committee, they, they actually said they had internal criteria, and they didn't have them to hand, but they would uh, provide them to the committee. So I'm in the committee tomorrow, so I'll be asking for an update mm. on that. Um, but I suspect that they're. I suspect that they're. They're not much. Um, so following on from that, I arranged a meeting uh, with the community with Roderick O'Gorman, with the minister. That was to take place tonight. Um, but yesterday, um, uh, around just a little after this current time, I got a phone call from him to say um, that it wasn't going ahead. Uh, that he'd been informed that it wasn't going ahead. Uh, that the company had been in touch with his department. Uh, discussions, uh, I suppose, are taking place, and it, it wasn't going ahead. And um, so I obviously informed the committee members then uh, straight away that uh, this wasn't happening. But I did have a more general discussion with him saying, you know, there are questions here as regards how this got to this stage, the criteria. We all know we have to play our part. We all know everybody, every every county in Ireland has to play its part as regards to the issues going on in the world at the moment. Um, but you know, you know, there has to be some basic criteria. And on the bigger picture, Alan, does it concern you that a company? No, it's a very fine company, the the one involved. With it, but does it concern you that a company would be investing in property with a view to it housing refugees? Because I presume there's a profit in it. Yeah, well, that's a real undercurrent of an issue in all of this. Um, you know, there is a, an industry almost there, uh, Fran, where when it comes to um, you know, buying up property, doing them up, and basically the state then has off the has off the mortgage yeah. in a very short space of time, and actually it gives some funding towards redeveloping them. So that's wow. a, that's a broader issue that I have mentioned and brought up with him. Uh, but primarily, I think the positive thing that has come out of this is that I think the department, his department, are going to have more defined criteria. And what I would suggest is that 
they need to look at areas that they know has the resources first and then look to see what property can be you know, but are but, they not in a desperate situation at this point? They're, they're, they're in a very, very, very tight situation. There's no doubt about that. Mm. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But like, you know, as regards how you deal with this scenario, you know, we need to ensure that, you know, when people are coming to an area that the services are going to be there, that, mm. it, you know, that it, it's feasible. Uh, and I think the criteria need to, need, to, uh, need to look after that. I mean, obviously... There's going to be, you know, by the way things are looking, there's going to be a lot more Ukrainians coming into the country as well. Um, so, you know, well, we what are to... your own thoughts about that, by the way, just in terms of that? Can we look after these people properly now if we keep allowing them to come in? Well, I, I, you know, I believe that we have to play our, our part, um, uh, Fran. Um, you know, the um, the situation is is unknown as regards how long this is going to go on. No, no one can predict yeah. it, but it looks like it's going to go on. It's kind of there's almost a second wave as regards what's happening there at yes. the moment and people moving out with the attacks on Kiev and everywhere else. Um, but we have to play our part, but it has to be done in a, in a structured way. And my big regret here is that uh, I believe that one component of this that really needs to be absolutely extended and pushed forward a lot quicker is the whole issue of rapid build modular homes. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, we have now, I remember from years ago when I was minister, that the, you know, the, the type of buildings that were being built then, but the type of buildings that have been built now seven or eight years later are absolutely, totally, they're mm. fantastic. They're way better than what was there even a decade ago. But there's and still planning involved for, for things. Well, 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 that's a huge issue, isn't it? Well, well, yes and no. When it comes to situations like this, there there is provision within the Planning Act uh, to fast forward uh, some of this. But in built-up areas, in large towns, cities, etc., where there are services, where there's electricity, where there's hardcore uh, you know, flo- um, grounds where there is uh, water, sewage, etc. Like you can, you, you can put in a significant amount of these, um, and I think that has to be a larger component of what we're doing here. And may I say that I believe that not alone that, but I believe that these, and I've I visited um, uh, these uh, modular homes. I've seen, mm. them, to be honest with you, Fred, you you you'd live them on yourself. Right. Some right. of them are incredible, um, but I believe also into the future we need to produce so many of these because we're going to have to start using them for a period anyway for social housing until the houses are, are Well I was going to say that to you is, is that possibly the answer to the, the social well, housing believe, issue I, that we have? I believe it is a large component of where we'll have to go because given the scale of the issues in relation to housing and homelessness I mean I have so many people coming in to myself in Fiona Bonfield in our office in Nina and ringing from all over the county and you know yes. you can only do so much um, but I believe that we're going to have to uh, invest more in modular houses to try and... and are you getting it. the frustration that we're getting from people who are not in the least bit racist, but they're saying, look, we have huge issues of our own here, and, you know, maybe we need to look to looking after our own people as well? Well, of course we need to look after our own. I mean, the, the reason... Do you get that into your office? Are you, are you hearing that? Um, you would hear it from time to time, but it wouldn't be something that would be a daily occurrence. But, but you would hear it from time to time. Yeah. But I mean, in fairness, I think we've got to do both. Um, we've got to ensure that we look after people who are coming here temporarily, and we've got to ensure that we look after people, our own people. Obviously, that that goes without saying. And I believe that, from a planning point of view, and from a social housing point of view, 
modular homes mm. are going to have to be a larger component of that. There's something else that uh, I, I'd love to hear your opinion on, and, and we're going back to Pecan again and the idea that these were holiday homes. If that did go ahead, if the asylum seekers were housed there, that as a tourist attraction then would no longer be the case next year. And that has other implications for our local economy and all of that sort of thing. And this is happening all over the country with hotels, for example, as well. Well, as you know, friend, I, I spent nearly a decade working for Board Falls yes. in South Ireland. Yeah. And, um, I, I, this is something that comes up with me from time to time. Um, you know the scenario in Dublin at the moment, mm. whereby you can't get a hotel room. Yeah. It's absolutely crippling. I know people go driving up and down because they can't afford to stay um, in Dublin when they're on business yeah. or leisure or whatever. And it's having a huge... Now, to be fair, some of the hotels in Dublin are gouging people, and that, that's not acceptable either. Um but it is uh, something that I think Fulcher Ireland, Tourism Ireland, are going to have to deal with. Because if you take that scenario, and I should have said it earlier, obviously, um, if those houses were to be used in this scenario for refugees, it would have an economic impact on mm. it. It was a ripple effect across mm. the broader, um, you know, the broader pecan, the broader area around there. And this is happening in other parts of the country as well. So there is a concern there as regards when, you know, the holiday season kicks off from basically kick off after Paddy's Day all the way through to September, um, that for me, in some locations, there may not be the accommodation available for the ripple effect that tourism has in many parts of the world. And like some parts, or parts of Ireland, some parts of Ireland, like tourism, six, seven months of tourism, people have to make enough income to do them for the other five mm, months, yes. you know. So yeah. that is something, and I think it's something that's really going to buy home this summer season. Yeah, I just noticed that in the entertainment business where a lot of hotels have stopped doing entertainment because they have refugees and that's where they're going to make their income from now, you know. So yeah, I, you would see that directly yeah. yourself. I mean, yeah. I mean uh, I, I'm mean, i I'm seeing that, I'm hearing about that, um, you know, across the country, particularly, you know, you, you'd hear about it in high tourism areas. You can imagine now Palerny, yeah, which has a large degree of, yeah. of refugees and, and Ukrainian. So that's something certainly that's going to definitely come up on the agenda over the summer. Can I ask you, with your formerly, of course, you had your your um, looking after health for the Labour Party. Um, more than one hundred thousand people gone without beds this year in hospital. That's all over the newspapers today. It's really at unprecedented levels again, isn't it? I think we're at unprecedented levels. I've never seen it as bad. Um, the scenario which we have across the country, and I'm really concerned and it's hard to get data on this but I'm really concerned about um, non-diagnosis of other illnesses during COVID uh, particularly cancer uh, because you know everything not everything but a lot of things shut down Um, um, you know screening uh, you know people going to get things assessed that they were worried about you know it didn't happen to the scale it should have Um, and that's not necessarily anyone's fault but because of the situation in COVID was unprecedented and to be honest, we didn't know where we were going. However, there is now an issue and, you know, I've had, I speak to an awful lot of people uh, when it comes to healthcare and I know of people who now have been diagnosed with various different illnesses and to be honest, they did say that, you know, maybe they should have went earlier but COVID, you know, yeah, it was, uh, was around. Um, so we have all the infrastructural uh, deficits that are in our health service. We know all about them, particularly in the Midwest and in Tipperary. But on top of that now, we have a situation which I've never seen before. is a, a crisis in the level of um, 
the uh, recruitment of doctors, specialists and nurses. I heard a story the other day of three nurses together going away to Australia because they just didn't want to work in the environment uh, that presents themselves in public oh, hospitals in Ireland. Wow. And like, like I know there's a deficit in relation to specialists. I mean, all the uh, HSE teams that are working out in the community, there's deficits there across physiotherapy, OT, speech and language. I deal an awful lot with families who are dealing with kids who have autism. Uh, the lack of specialists in that area and early intervention there is so important. So across the health service at this moment, not alone do we have the infrastructural deficit, not alone do we have a situation post-COVID whereby uh, there is a backlog of people being diagnosed with various different illnesses. But on top of that now, we have a huge and the worst prices I've ever seen in relation to recruitment. Finally, can I ask you, what are you hearing from your colleagues in, in Labour? You've stepped down. Uh, some of your colleagues thought that Ivana Batchik would cause a, a bounce and that she'd get more TV time and radio time and all of that. It hasn't happened. The latest ball down to lowest, I'd say, in a long time, 3% or something like that. Well, what, are you, what are your colleagues saying to you at this point? Well, to be honest with you, I, I've given all of that a bit of space, Frank, because yeah. I think that's the appropriate thing to do. And I wish him the best. And I, I play my part. You must be part. shaking your head, though, at times, are you? Ah, look, I'm philosophical, Fran, yeah. at this stage. It's uh, seven, I think it's seven months, or maybe a little bit longer. Um, you know, I'm philosophical about this. I move on. and mm. um, But, you know, hopefully things will improve for, for, I think we need a strong Labour Party in Ireland. So um, I believe they will improve, you know, get mm. some new candidates. Um and uh, we'll move on. I just do my role. But the, is it not the, the issues that we... The people of Tipperary are seeing a lot more of me now, which is awesome. Mm, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe a good thing, or maybe not. Yeah, it's just the issues that we've been talking about today are the big issues, and I think the more important than maybe some of the liberal issues in some way. I'm careful about saying that, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely appreciate what you're saying. And, you know, I, I would, uh, at this moment in time, be in that camp myself. Um, like, the real issues now at the moment... Or cost of living. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I feel so sorry for some of the people that are in touch with me in relation to their bills that they're getting. And I just want to pick up one small, small uh, group, butchers. Yeah. Uh, butchers, some of the bills I've seen from some of the butchers across Tipperary and across Ireland, they, it, there's no way that they can survive at this rate. So there has to be specific interventions where there's issues as regards uh, independent um uh, people who are, are, are even in groups who have high use of refrigeration or high use of energy in those sectors because that, it's not sustainable. It is absolutely not sustainable. And they're the real issues. The bills that are coming into people, the uh, situation in relation to small businesses in particular and how sustainable they're. And I worry, obviously, we're seeing a whole lot a lot of issues in relation to the IT sector in mm. Ireland mm. at the moment. Look, it's, it's quite obvious what's going on in the States and across the world. Uh, there's going to be some form of um, you know, uh, recession. Some The growth levels aren't going to be at the, where they are. So you know, I worry about what's going to happen in our country post-Christmas. A lot of businesses will last and try and get to the Christmas period. But like come January, what we're facing into is a deep concern to me. And they're the real issues. The issues like we spoke about in relation to healthcare. Yeah. They're the real issues I think that everyone in politics should be focusing on now. Alan, uh, good to talk to you today. Thank you for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Tipperary Labour TD, Alan Kelly speaking to us there. 1800 938 007. Back in just a moment. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. A listener says, Hi Fran, I'm so upset about what's going on. The past few days have been very tough indeed. I totally understand the pain, the hurt these men are going through. I myself was abused by a family member at the age of eight up until 13. It stopped when I actually realised that this was wrong. I never told anyone. I kept it to myself for 30 years. And then about four years ago, I had a breakdown. It was like a bomb blew up. I just couldn't deal with it anymore. It's only then... I told my family, you will never get over it. You blame yourself. I ask myself, what did I do to deserve this? It affects every part of your life, physically, emotionally, my work, my relationships. I cry at the least thing now. I feel dirty because I had seen things that I shouldn't have seen as a child. It's a life sentence you will never get over. You deal with it. I'm going to counselling and it helps somewhat. Some days are good, some are just awful. I'm doing my best to move forward because that's all I can do. That's in from from one of our listeners uh, today. Our hidden histories uh, this week fitting in with our various conversations on this because uh, hidden histories this week uh, looking at the historic ill treatment of children that has long been under the microscope of historians and social scientists in Ireland. Now, whether it was in institutions or domestic set- settings, Ireland has a, a very troubled history when it comes to the well-being of uh, particularly vulnerable young people. And this month's Hidden Histories, Connor, Dr. Connor Reedy presents just one single case from Nina in 1899 to illustrate the precarious state of Irish childhood when it was threatened by violence and by cruelty. In today's story, we learn that at the turn of the 20th century in Ireland, the law was no friend to a vulnerable child. In September 1899, an 11-year-old girl stood up in Nina Courthouse and gave as heartbreaking a testimony as was probably ever witnessed inside those hallowed walls. Margaret Gorman of Clare Street stood up and recounted the horrific tale of a brutal and sustained physical attack she recently received at the hands of her mother, stepfather and grandmother. The perpetrators were found guilty but did not serve a single day in prison. Mary and Joseph Larkin lived in Clare Street in Nina, and we can assume that Margaret resided in the same household. Mary's mother, Johanna Egan, lived nearby in William Street. Now, for listeners unfamiliar with the geography of the town of Nina, these streets meet at an intersection, so it is likely that little Margaret would have been over and back between both houses all the time, as was probably the case for most children of the day. On the 6th of September 1899, Margaret's mother Mary asked her to go to Drummoneer to collect some potatoes. Again, for the uninitiated, this is quite a walk. About five miles in fact, certainly quite a distance for an 11-year-old. While we don't know the finer details of their conversation, it is known that the child refused to go. The reaction from her mother was swift and savage. Mary caught hold of her daughter by the hair and dragged her around the floor knocking her head against the wall. 
When Margaret stood up, her mother struck her with a bat, knocking her down again. Her stepfather, Joseph, joined in the violence. He also hit the girl with some sort of implement, spinning her on her feet until she again hit her head against a wall. The violence against little Margaret continued later that day. Her mother dragged her to the ground by her hair and again swung her body around the floor by her hair. She beat the child on the back and threw a stool on her body. Again, the stepfather joined in the attack, beating her with a bat, swearing he would be hanged for her. The child was given no supper that evening. The following morning, the girl was spun around the floor again, dragged by her mother who beat her and ill-treated her in a sustained attack. During that same day, the attack moved into the street where Mary Larkin was joined by her mother, Johanna Egan, in the attack on the unfortunate 11-year-old Margaret. During that attack, now in the very public space on Clare Street, the child was rescued by Mrs Ellen Tynan. Mary Larkin was striking her daughter in the face with a clenched fist and again dragging the child along the road by the hair. Johanna Egan stamped on her granddaughter's chest as she lay on the ground. Ellen Tynan screamed, Oh God, you'll murder the child. Here are the police. At the mention of the police, the perpetrators ran into Larkin's house while the child lay helpless and beaten on the road. It later transpired that Margaret Gorman often slept outdoors at night. After the attack on the street, Margaret spent the night in the home of Mrs Landrigan on William Street before heading out to stay with her aunt in Port Row. Mary and Joseph Larkin, as well as Johanna Egan, were brought before Nina Petty Sessions later that same month. They were all found guilty. It was accepted that between them they dragged, beat, jumped upon and otherwise terrorised this 11-year-old girl. And there was also an indication that this was part of a pattern and not actually some sort of freak one-off occurrence. Not that that would have been excusable. Were the perpetrators handed custodial sentences by the court? Was the child, Margaret, removed from their care? Given that there was some minor public outcry in Nina in response to these reprehensible acts, did they suffer long-term consequences? It appears the answer to all these questions is a firm no. In fact, each defendant was handed a fine of £1 plus costs and, as was standard, if they defaulted on this, they would serve a fortnight in prison. Now one might rightly ask, where are the agencies of the state in this situation? The NSPCC did not open in Ireland until they established a first branch in Dublin in 1889, ten years before this incident, followed by offices in Cork and Belfast two years later. According to the historian Sarah Ann Buckley, the NSPCC's early focus was on three types of cruelty. Intentional, that is beating, starving, systematic persecution. And all of these came under the law. Then you had unintentional cruelty allowing children to suffer by want of personal body attention, sour and improper food, the use of pins and needles. And this did not come under the law. And finally, there was accidental or careless cruelty, that is drunkenness, gossiping, neglect of overlying babies, falls, burns, skulls, runovers, and these could be amenable to the law. However, for the unfortunate Margaret Gorman in 1899 in Nina, the NSPCC was nowhere near her case. The adults in her life suffered almost no meaningful consequences for their cruelty towards her 
and although she would make a temporary escape to Port Rue, there was nothing within the apparatus of the state that could prevent her mother, stepfather and grandmother from regaining control over this child they physically abused. Sadly, this is exactly what happened. Margaret fell back under the control and influence of her parents and grandmother. In the years following her brutalization at their hands, the young girl appears to have come under their dark influence, no longer as their victim, but as a collaborator in their acts of public disorder and abusive behavior. In January 1902, Margaret, now 14 years old, her stepfather Joseph and her grandmother Johanna were summoned to Nina Petty Sessions by a neighbour from William Street. Joseph was charged with assaulting the woman while Johanna and Margaret were charged with using abusive and threatening language. Joseph and Margaret received cautions while Johanna was fined. It appears Joseph and Mary Larkin were the type of individuals always at war with their neighbours and to this end they made great use of the Petty Sessions Court. In October 1901, Mary was summoned by John Carroll for coming to the door of his house and verbally abusing him. At the same sitting, Joseph in turn brought suit against the same John Carroll. It was one of those rare occasions when one might feel sympathy toward a magistrate. In this case, both cases were adjourned. The judges continued to earn their crust by administering justice upon, or even on behalf of, this family in July 1902. This time, the Larkins and Johanna were sued for assault by Kate Moroni. The Larkins countersued, also for assault. Now, there's no point in me going into the details of this particular case here, but all you need to know is that it started in a dispute over a washing line. At the end, the chairman of the Petty Sessions declared, We have heard enough of these cases. They're all dismissed. Let both parties go home and live on better terms with each other. Now, in fairness, it must have been demoralising for a judge, having spent all those years in law school and going on to practice law for even more years, only to find himself adjudicating on such nonsense. It continued. In October 1903, Joseph Larkin sued Margaret at the Petty Sessions. This was the same girl he was fined for brutally assaulting four years earlier. Margaret would now have been about 15 years old. Also tied up in this proceeding was a character named John Danaher, who was accused of threatening Joseph Larkin. In this proceeding, he accused his stepdaughter of striking him with a stone on the forehead. Larkin, that is. She admitted hitting him with the stone, but only because he threatened to strike her with a cleaver. The incident took place on a Saturday night, and Margaret was in the house. There was a pint of whiskey in the house. There was a gallon of porter in the house. John Danaher was in the house. There was talk of a match between Danaher and Margaret, and apparently this was a source of disagreement between those present. Under cross-examination, Joseph conceded that he and his wife were already bound over to the peace for beating Margaret. Under Margaret's version of events, the group was drinking until about 10 o'clock that night. Just after Danaher left the house, her stepfather, she alleged, rose from his chair to strike her with a cleaver. She roared and screamed out loud and Danaher reappeared. Danaher and Margaret, it then transpired, were actually to be married the following Monday. After Larkin allegedly went to attack her with the cleaver, Margaret retreated to her grandmother's house at John's Lane that night. When she returned home the next day, Joseph Larkin took up a cudgel and her mother took up a bottle. Margaret ran out to the street, pursued by Larkin, and it was at this point, apparently in self-defence, that she hit him with a stone. The magistrates largely dismissed the case, although they bound Margaret Gorman to the peace. In November 1906, 
Margaret and a different girl, also named Johanna, were brought before the Petty Sessions for stealing three stone of potatoes from a man named Michael Kennedy. The girls were detained in the barracks in Drummondier, and the charge was brought, and I quote, for the protection of the farmers, unquote. The alleged theft happened in broad daylight, and the case was adjourned for 13 weeks in order to give the defendants a chance to reform. An interesting take on the potential fate of Margaret comes from an entry from the Nina Board of Guardians in February 1916. A man named Thomas McGrath, a workhouse messenger, wrote to the board asking them for permission to marry, and I quote, a young woman named Margaret Gorman, aged 25 years, an inmate of this house for the past seven years, and now I want to marry her, and she is anxious, unquote. He went on to write that he wished her to be discharged from the workhouse so they could live together as a married couple. He claimed, and I quote again, She is as sensible as any woman in the house. Her mother never comes to look after her, though she says she put her in here for protection, as she is a fine, good-looking young woman, God bless her, unquote. While we're not certain that this is the same Margaret Gorman, an educated guess based upon certain factors suggests that they were indeed one and the same person. So why have I singled out the unfortunate Margaret Gorman and her extended family for analysis this month? Essentially, their situation represented so much of what was wrong about the Irish family and childhood at the turn of the 20th century. One commentator at the time pointed out, and I quote, that very few children of the criminal or vicious poor are at present going to school at all. If child rescue is not to remain a dead letter in regard to this, the most dangerous class, a large number of parents, well able to earn, will have to be dealt with. And at present, the law gives no means in Ireland to deal with such parents effectively, unquote. A meeting was held in Dublin in 1889, intended as a precursor to the establishment of the NSPCC in Ireland, and it heard that cruelty toward children was an uncommon feature of Irish life. In fact, neglect was the most common form of child abuse, and drunkenness was the most common cause of this neglect. Sadly, the story of Margaret Gorman was not at all uncommon in the history of child cruelty in Ireland. Neglect often took the form of leaving children, for example, in an unfurnished house with no food. In a Limerick workhouse in the late 1880s, a schoolmaster was reprimanded for severely beating a child. The workhouse physician noted that the injuries were the most severe he had ever seen. The historian Maria Luddy notes that in a number of cases, and I quote, children were beaten either by teachers, parents or employers, and often adults received a fine or reprimand from the presiding judge or magistrate. In those cases that were reported in the press, the words cruelty and neglect were often used, most often within the context of violent assault, unquote. This is exactly where the story of Margaret Gorman fits into the national pattern of the time. The physical attacks she endured were part of a pattern of wider domestic violence, labelled as neglect by the newspapers, punished by a mere fine by the courts. This was the fullest extent of the state's intervention in the life of such a child. Perhaps the saddest aspect of the early course of Margaret Gorman's life was that she went from being a neglected and beaten child, neglected and beaten at the hands of those who should have afforded her the greatest protection as a vulnerable child, to being shaped exactly in their image. In a few short years, she became them. She herself was raised into their criminal practices with all the attendant public disorder, court appearances for abuse of language and assault, eventually finding herself at the mercy of the poor law guardians in the workhouse. 
This was the descent from innocent child who could and should have been rescued to inevitable victim, petty criminal, known troublemaker. How many other young people experienced this same descent? Sadly, the answer must remain part of Tipperary's hidden history. And that's uh, our good friend Dr. Connor Reedy there with uh, Tipperary's Hidden Histories. And uh, if you want to listen back to previous episodes over the past few years, you can go on to uh, Tipperary Hidden History, Tipperary's Hidden History.com. And uh, you can have a listen there to all the other fantastic um, um, episodes of Hidden History. Um, just to go to show you that men can't multitask, I was trying to read and speak there. It just doesn't work, does it? <laughs> Joe was on to us to say um, that he disagrees with uh, Alan Kelly. He says there are too many bogus refugees already in the system and uh, we don't have um, a way to remove these people from our country. Most of these people are economic refugees and they have no reason to be here. Uh, Vinny says it's uh, simple with uh, regard to refugees. If you have an empty pint glass, you can't put a pint and a half of water into it. You have to know when to stop. Very interesting piece, though, in the um, Daily Mail today. Um, it says that almost 4,000 asylum seekers lost or destroyed their passports before reaching immigration control in Dublin Airport. Uh, this year, that's according to the Justice Minister. And an unprecedented uh, number of immigrants have arrived in Ireland uh, this year with more than 55,000 Ukrainians seeking refugee, refuge from the Russian invasion. In parallel, the country is witnessing an increase in asylum seekers from other countries. But the Taoiseach indicated earlier on this year that a more restrictive approach to immigration control in the UK has made Ireland more attractive to people seeking uh, asylum, but that's interesting, isn't it? 4,000 uh, asylum seekers lost or destroyed their passports before reaching immigration control in Dublin Airport. Let me take a break. We'll be right back to you in just a moment's time. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now we're on air with you every single uh, weekday morning from nine and Helen spoke to us in the first hour of the show this morning to give her views on the latest allegations of abuse perpetrated on children in schools run by the Spirit in Order. Here's a little of what Helen had to say to me just after nine. Are you under any doubt whatsoever, Helen, that out there probably listening to us today are people who have been abused in these situations but can't talk about it and might never talk about it, in fact? I know there are. I actually know there are because it's kind of because of certain circumstances I'm too well aware of people who have been unable to come forward and go, yes, I was abused because there is such um, a fear of what will happen if it explodes out of their head. Will I be believed? Because some of the things coming through in the news are disturbing, such as what happened to the right boys. Like, why would you go forward, speak about this, and then have it blow up in your face and you may feel even a bigger piece of poop than you felt right through the years of that abuse. And I know you won't name anybody to me, Helen, no, but no, are you... Are I, you... Abs- 
Are you saying that you're aware of people who have kept this to themselves because of those fears? Yes. And I said, I cannot name because if I or I certainly can't even name an area because that would be, I I actually know that if I named one particular school, there would be people going, I know who she's talking about. And can I ask you, are these lives, you know, has this been destructive to these lives, Helen? It has been in terms of, apart from the fear of dealing with uh, people, uh, suicide attempts, uh, eating disorders, disorders, addiction, that's just the start of it. And that uh, was Helen speaking to me uh, just after nine this morning. Very, very powerful uh, speaker and uh, Teresa as well. And both ladies uh, extremely eloquent uh, this morning, uh, but resonating big time with our listeners out there. Uh, A final one from a listener here uh, this morning. Say, I know how that listener uh, feels and how that listener is going through. Um, It's a life sentence. This is referring to abuse, needless to say. The worst thing any child can go through. I was told by my abuser, I will kill your mother, your sisters and your friends. I used to run away when I could and then I'd get badly beaten when I came home by my abuser. I had three breakdowns, ended up in hospital and uh, this is where I am today. It's very hard to fight. You feel so low, you feel worthless, dirty and ashamed. But I have my counselling and the doctors who are my lifeline at this point. Ireland needs to crack down on these sick, twisted monsters. Um, Mine as a child was ignored even by my family and now it's different. I'm in my 50s but I can still feel like I'm seven years old. News and information's up next. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. Let's do this. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Tip FM's Match 3 game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie. Let's go to our phone lines now. And Noel Gray is with us. Good morning to you, Noel. Good morning, Noel. Okay, we don't seem to have Noel there. You might be able to sort that for me if you could, Emma. It looks like that line has dropped. Uh, But, of course, Match 3 is a fantastic competition. It's in association with the good friends at Estaclum, and it goes on every single day throughout the day. It starts with Andrew in the morning. And, of course, we do it here on Tip Today, the lunchtime show with Stephen, uh, Drive Time, and, of course, Premier Country with uh, Carol as well. So it's mighty stuff and you have a chance to win some fantastic prizes. All right, let us find Noel. Good morning, Noel. Good morning, friend. And good to talk to you today, Noel. And uh, good to best, talk to you too. Best of luck with uh, match three. You know the story. You have to match three of the items and uh, you can start by picking a number between one and 90 for me. Uh, I'll take number 13, friend. And number 13. Is that normally a lucky number for you? It's an Omni Lucky, yeah. All right, let's see what number 13 is. It's a DeLonghi pumped coffee machine. It's valued at almost €150, so it's a nice one. Uh, Let's pick a second number, if you could. I'll go number 12, friend. 
Number 12 this time. Okay, let us open that one. Sadly, it's not a match. It's a DeLonghi, all right, but it's an oil-filled radiator. So no match there. So commiserations to you. But to help out all the listeners, would you pick a third one for me? Uh, 11, Fran. 11. Let us open that one and see what happens. It's a Kenwood Prospero uh, mixer. So sadly, no luck uh, today, Noel, but you might play again with us, would you? I'll go again, Fran. I'll try again, yeah. And Thanks w- so much for Why not? Morning. Do you want to say hello to anybody as you're on with me, Noel? Uh, just to have my friends around, yeah. All right. Well, great to talk to you today, Noel. Thank and, you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, you know. That's Noel Gray attempting our Match 3 competition. Tip FM's Match 3 game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurles. Shop online at stakelum.ie. Match 3, win the prize. Well, we invite the Gardaí to join us every fortnight to keep you up to speed on what's been happening around uh, the county. Joining me now, Sergeant in charge of Nina Garda Station, Declan O'Carroll. Good morning to you, Declan. Good morning, Fran. And thanks very much for coming on with me today. Can we start with uh, the commemorative event? So that happened in uh, Mulnahone. No, it's going to happen in Mulnahone, isn't it? Yes, Fran, it's due to happen. The Gardaí and Clonmel are hosting a commemorative event in Mulnahone next Monday, the 14th of November. The event is to mark the death of Garda Harry Phelan, who was killed in Mulnahone in 1920. Monday is the 100th anniversary of his death and a mass is being held in the church in Mullinahone at 11am on Monday morning. Guardian Clamell would like to extend an invitation to the local people of Mullinahone to join with them at this event which will be followed by a replaying ceremony at Henry's place of passing in, in Mullinahone following uh, by Gardaí marching to Mullinahone Garda Station to unveil a commemorative uh, monument to honour uh, uh, Garda Henry Phelan. He was the first member of Garda Shikana who, who died in the line of uh, duty. My God, and I know you'll go back to the GA Centre afterwards. There will be some refreshment there, I know, as well, uh, Declan. Yes, Fran. Um, at the end of last month, a man was acting suspiciously in Clonmel. Yes, Fran, uh, this happened on um, Halloween night. A male uh, a man was acting suspiciously in, in the town of Clonmel. He was searched and found to be in possession of an item suspected to be capable of, of being used in the commission of crime. The man, uh, who was in his 30s, was arrested, detained and questioned and later charged with possession of, of these items and is due before Clonmel District Court uh, this month, Fran. I know people will be very to happy, uh, very happy indeed to hear about the unit that targets antisocial behaviour in Clonmel as well, Declan. Yes, Fran, uh, there's a unit now targeting antisocial behaviour, including drug misuse in the t- town of Clonmel, uh, along with assisting uh, with additional rural patrols during hours of darkness uh, across the district. The unit have had great success in the last two weeks, and, and in the last week alone, three persons have been arrested after testing positive on a roadside test from uh, driving uh, under the influence of drugs uh, in their system. Uh, this requires an arrest to be made and further testing to be performed, but we are hopeful of prosecutions before the courts for drug driving in the weeks ahead. Three further arrests were made for uh, drink driving in the past two weeks, Fran. There was uh, an arrest of a, a man in his 20s as well in Clonmel. Yes, Fran, a man in his 20s was arrested for a number of crimes committed in Clonmel Town on Tuesday the 1st of November. In a short space of time between half seven and half eight in the evening of last Tuesday week, the man as- allegedly assaulted a shopkeeper in the town, intimidated another member of the public in their home uh, with a, with what's known as an implement. Uh, the man was arrested a short time later and detained in question at Clonmel Garda Station was, and was brought before the court uh, charged with a number of offences including um, assault. Right, there's an investigation into a burglary in Clamwell as well. 
Yes, Fran, the Guardian Clonmeller investigating a burglary at a shed on the grounds of a, a home on the Care Road uh, on the week of the 25th of October. The workshop door at the rear of the house was forced open, damaging locks and two Ryobi uh, hedge trimmers and a parkside petrol leaf floor were stolen. The Guardian Clonmeller would welcome any information around the theft and indeed if anyone has been offered these items for sale, please make contact with uh, Clonmel Guard Station. Right, I know you're always at pains yourself and your colleagues, Declan, to you know advise people about security and locking up stuff and all of that. It's vital, isn't it? Yes. Friend. Yeah. Um, tell me about the, the young people. They, they were going to damage a shop front, were they? Yes, friend. Unfortunately, a number of youths were intent on damaging a shop front in Clamell on the night of the 4th of November. That was a Friday evening uh, between 7 and 8 pm. The Gardaí would like to speak to anyone who saw a group of youths kicking the, the shutters of a shop on Cashin Street in Clamell to make contact with, uh, with Gardaí at, at um, Clamell. Right, if we move to the Tip Town district then, a house is broken into on uh, Rosanna Road. Yes, Fran, uh, between 10.30pm on the 4th of November and 11.30am on the uh, 5th of November, a house was broken into on the Rosanna Road area of Tipperary Town. A car was stolen during the course of the, of the burglary. This car has uh, since been recovered, Fran. Um, Tip Town Guardia are appealing for anyone with any information to uh, contact them in relation to these incidents. And a uh, theft from a delivery driver? Yes, this was a nasty enough incident, Fran. Yeah. Uh, it happened last month. Uh, Gardaí are appealing for witnesses to a theft from a delivery driver that occurred in Glass Drum, Kappa White, on the tent of the tent. Um, a delivery driver was carrying a, out a delivery uh, when someone reached into his car and stole his uh, delivery, bar, uh, delivery bag, including money from him. Uh, anyone with any information is asked to contact Tipperary Town Guard Station. Good, good. To the Thurless area then, and a crime checkpoint. Yes, Fran, Turles uh, Roads Policing Unit carried out a crime checkpoint in Turles District when a car reversed uh, uh, from the checkpoint. The car allegedly committed a number of dangerous driving uh, offences throughout Turles Town. The driver has been identified and the file will be prepared for the Director of Public Prosecutions in relation to the manner of the, the driving that was witnessed by Gardaí. All right, so there's also drink and drug driving checkpoints happening all the time in the in the district. Yes, and across the division uh, in Turles, uh, Gardaí have continued to carry out drink and drug driving uh, checkpoints. Um, already this week, four people have been arrested on suspicion of drink and drug driving. Samples have been taken from these people which have been forwarded to the Medical Bureau for analysis. Uh, checkpoints have been increased in the Torres and Templemore area, friend, to combat uh, drink and drug driving and provide high visibility uh, policing to members of the public uh, over the winter period. Yeah, just to point out, your members have the ability to check for drug driving on, on the roadside now. Yes, friend, on the yeah. spot, uh, checks can be carried out at, at various checkpoints. Right, there was a seizure of drugs and paraphernalia as well. Uh, yes, Guardian Torres attached to the drugs unit at searched the premises in Templemore Town on the the 2nd of November November with a, uh, with a warrant under the Misuse of Drugs Act Fran. quantity of drugs and paraphernalia were seized along with uh, suspected heroin um, the suspect was arrested and conveyed to Torles Garda Station again directions are awaited from the office of the DPP on, on this matter Now once again Declan you're calling on firearms holders aren't you? Yes a call out to any firearms holder across the division um, we're requesting that all licensed firearms holders examine their licences to ensure that they are fully up to date and in order any license, unlicensed firearm uh, will be seized may be seized by a member of Garda Shikon and the licensee prosecuted so I would like just to encourage um, any persons with gun licence to uh, check their gun licence and ensure that everything is in order with them To your own area then Declan and, and a burglary in Newport 
Yes, Fran, a good news story from Newport on the early hours of December 11th. Gardaí responded to a reported burglary at a business premises on the Cork Road in, in, in the town. Uh, Gardaí found one man still at the scene and this man was subsequently arrested on suspicion of burglary. Fran, he was uh, conveyed to Nina Garda station was, and detained uh, under the provisions of the Criminal Justice Act and questioned about the burglary. Uh, he was later charged with, with this offence and brought before Nina District uh, Court. You're looking for some help about another burglary, this time Nina. Yes, Fran, Gardaí are seeking the public's help in relation to a burglary that occurred at Plunkett Street uh, outside of Nina on the 27th to the 10th, sometime between 2pm and 10pm on that road. A house was entered and uh, a shotgun was stolen. Gardaí are appealing for anyone with any information to contact the station. Mm, More criminal damage. Yes, Fran, Gardaí are investigating an incident that occurred on the 29th of October at approximately 4.15pm when three three youths came onto a premises on Kenyon Street and uh, caused criminal damage. Gardaí are examining CCTV footage in relation to the incident and are confident of identifying the suspects and bringing them before the courts. It seems to be on the up, oil being stolen, and you have another story about that, haven't you? Yes, Fran, and I'd encourage people to be on the on the lookout uh, at yeah. this time of year, especially, and the, uh, and the, the price of oil um, is on the increase, unfortunately. But uh, Gardaí are seeking... Um, this incident happened at Mount Dudley, Ross Grey, when oil was stolen from a tank at the rear of the house. This happened sometime between the 1st and the 6th, 6th of November, and I believe the... The injured party was uh, just recently after getting a fill of oil, so I would ask members of the public just to be vigilant. It is... yeah, costly crime. Uh, absolutely, and oil is very, very expensive now as well. The Catholic uh, converters—they're making the news again. Yes, Fran. Unfortunately, this is an issue throughout the Tipperary division. Between the 27th and 28th of October, catalytic converter was stolen from a car in Quilvaha Estate in in Nina, and then again on the 29th to the 10th at, at Clunbawn Estate in Rossgrey, a similar theft occurred when a catalytic converter was stolen from a car at 5:15 in a.m. in the morning. Uh, Guardia warning people to be vigilant for these types of theft. Uh, there were three other thefts of catalytic converters, converters across uh, Tipperary in the last few days, and these do uh, cost a lot to repair and cause a lot of damage to cars. Obviously so, indeed. Tell me about the theft in Aglish in Roscoe. Yes, Fran, between the 27th and 28th of October, a theft occurred at Aglish, uh, Ross Grey, where items were stolen from a shed. Given a dark evening, Gardaí are asking that people remain vigilant and contact Gardaí if they have any suspicions about cars or persons about. Uh, another theft occurred at Ash- Ashbury Industrial Estate in Ross Grey over the bank holiday weekend when road barriers were removed from a property. Again, Gardaí are harvesting CCTV and appealing for information on, on that matter. Checkpoints still happening across the district, of course. Thank yes, Fran, and, and across the whole of Tipperary, yeah. uh, they continue to carry out checkpoints points across Nina District. Uh, six suspected drink drivers have been arrested in the last fortnight with three from Nina and one each in Moneygall, Roscoe and Newport. And where public order is concerned, is that, is that 10 incidents over the last couple of weeks, is it? Yes, Fran, over the last, uh, say, 10 to 12 days, Gardaí and Nina have dealt with 10 public order incidents. Um, seven of these were in Nina and two in Newport and one in Roscoe. Each of the arresting persons were dealt with by charge uh, to court or else uh, by fine. Right, so you're just not tolerating public uh, public order incidents at all? No, Fran. No. Like, when Gardaí have to respond to an incident, it, it needs to be dealt with, and unfortunately these incidents seem to be uh, becoming more prevalent. The online stuff, or the phishing, as they call it as well, warnings again? Yes, Fran, this is another one for uh, your listeners to be very aware of. Uh, these types of incidents are continuing continue to be reported in Nina Garda session. And just one example, on one occasion, the injured party in this incident received a phone call from whom she thought was a well-known uh, company that she had dealings with. Um, after engaging with the caller, €1,000 ended up being siphoned from her account. Wow. Um, and again, you find you have the instance where members of the public replied to text messages and again, um, 
they're let up a pat and and uh, money is siphoned from their account as a result of these interactions. Yeah, they're getting more and more sophisticated as well. Just finally, Declan, uh, the, the van that was stolen? Yes, just a stolen van in Newport uh, between 6th and 7th of November at Ballymikio, Newport. This is the blue Citroen van um, with uh, 07 reg. It, it remains outstanding and Gardaí are seeking the uh, public's assistance in relation to that right. stolen van. We always appreciate your time, Declan. Thanks for coming on with me. Thank you and good Thank morning you, to you. Bye-bye you. That is Sergeant in charge of Nina Garda Station, uh, Declan O'Carroll, speaking to us there. 1800-938-007. I was abused at my place of work, Fran, for five years, and when I went to the powers that be, they transferred me to a different area. Isn't that just uh, amazing? As opposed to to dealing with it, I presume, is what you mean. Um, We'll take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And we were speaking to uh, Gina from Paws Animal Rescue uh, yesterday. That's uh, an animal rescue dedicated to rescuing homeless and uh, abandoned uh, animals. But we heard the story from Gina that they can no longer take in uh, dogs because they're simply full up and uh, Angie McGrath is a great friend of ours and uh, uh, she's the lady who uh, put together Cashel Feral Cats uh, joins me now. Good morning to you Angie. Hi friend, how are you? I'm very well indeed. You're reacting to that news uh, Angie. What, what do you think of that? Do you know friend I completely 100% concur with Gina mm. and you know you had a chap on after and this is you know, I'm not targeting him in any way, but he was saying about, um, you know, if dogs could be given out for free yeah. from rescues. Now, maybe he doesn't have an understanding of of exactly how much it costs to get a dog home ready, so to speak. Like, working it out, a dog costs about four or five hundred euros to any rescue to get him ready to go to a home. Does and that's it? without. Does it, it, it would, friend. Yeah. You know, and that's without medical um, costs, you know, if a dog had a broken leg or a disease or an injury of any description or an illness. And where where do you come up with that? That's obviously housing, feeding, chipping, all of these things. Microchips, flea, worm burden, mange treatments, expensive and ongoing and it takes ages to get rid of. You have to keep that dog separate from every other animal in case they pick the mange up after that dog meaning the person looking after that dog is specific to them. They can't be looking after other animals in case they pass it on. Um, neuters, they, um, you're just, in general, basically getting mm. the dog ready to go to a home isn't, people, you know, think you get in this lovely, fluffy puppy that's ready, give yes. them a few tins of dog food and then they go on to their new home. Right. It's not that's like not that. That's not what happens. And of course, there might be behavioural issues as well, Angie. There's that too, you know, because some poor little devils have been tortured by somebody and then you have that. And so they might end up staying for a few months in the rescue. Somebody might have to be hired to train them and and help them with the behavioural issues. That's not cheap. Yeah, uh, Ellie was out there yesterday. She she recorded a piece that we'll be using at some point or other in the in the future. And and she was actually upset at some of the stories. Angie, mm-hmm. and that's not a surprise yeah. to you, I know. But no, you know, no, you know, I think um, it would be a great idea for for if breeders, puppy farms, puppy breeders were forced 
to give money towards rescues because they're getting fortunes from breeding dogs. They pass them on to anybody that has the money. It doesn't matter what happens to them afterwards. They don't care. And so I think there should be some sort of a scheme where a puppy from every litter, the price of that puppy should be given into a vet or into some sort of a fund whereby um, rescues can access low-cost neutering or low-cost veterinary fees. And I think it would be sort of some sort of a full circle um, situation. It sounds reasonable uh, enough. Was it any surprise to you to hear that uh, any funding that comes from the government, for example, goes straight to the vet? Now, this isn't the fault of the vets. I mean, they have their own business. No, no, the vets have to earn a living too. They have overhead costs. But it's no surprise to you that all that money goes to... No, no, we ourselves, Cash and Feral Cash Project also, our doors are closed at the moment. Are they? Um, They are. They've been closed um, for the last four weeks. Right. We you. literally have zero funds. We we just have no money. None. Not a penny. You don't we've get exa- anything at all, do you? No, no. We get no funding whatsoever. And we've exhausted all our little fundraising ideas and stuff. You know, people are, people, you know, friend, it's all over. The price of everything is doubled, if not tripled in some cases. And people just don't have it anymore, you know. So we're literally emergency cases and sick and injured animals. We literally can't help. Um, well, we can. We can trap cats for anybody. There's no problem. But we can't pay any vet bills for people at the moment. It's just incredible. And uh, this is reflecting what's happening out there in society with, with the cost of living, as you say. And, and all of it that, is. So. It yeah. is. And, you know, my heart goes out to Gina and Nikki and the gang at Mokara as well. I mean... Yeah. the amount of animals that have been dumped on them daily, daily. And, like, when they have to say no to an animal, that's not a careless no, you know. Course, they, course, they're yeah. devastated having to say no to people. Well, and they wonder what's going to happen to that animal, you know. What about what she was telling me, that uh, 70% of the dogs on the premises now are either lurchers or mm. greyhounds. Again, yeah. that's, that doesn't I, surprise you, Angie, no? No, I was looking at their video, actually, the other night when, when they put up the post initially. Yeah. And every dog there was, was some sort of a sighthound. And, you know... There's what, a, what did you call them, Angie? Some sort of a what? A sighthound. Okay, is that so what you call them? Yeah. Yeah, just generally referred to as sighthound. So they they they're a hunting breed of dog. Yes. Obviously, they're not homed from rescues as hunting breed the dogs. Yes. But that would be what probably mostly how they end up in in uh, rescues, um, and they're referred to generally as sighthounds because that's how they uh, that's their DNA. Basically, they mm. work off their sight. Okay, and, so and why why are they abandoned? Is it that they're, they're no longer useful as, as yeah. hunting dogs? Yeah, overbred and irresponsibly bred, and then they're not, you know, they don't run fast enough in the greyhound industry, which is working towards um, much better uh, welfare standards. Mm. Um, but, you know, you get the local guy down the road whose dog has seven, eight, nine puppies, and you can't get homes from or they're useless, so to speak, for their what they want. So then they're abandoned and dumped and they're not vaccinated or treated for mange or anything. And then the likes of Gina is landed with seven or eight puppies with a couple of grands worth of bills to get them home ready. 
It's incredible. I believe Gina told me, and you might have mentioned it to me as well, Angie, that, you know, they make very good pets, these, oh, these particular dogs. Oh, they fabulous pets. Um, I used to volunteer with uh, Cottage Rescue um, here near Cashel. You're probably aware uh, of Hannah yeah. uh, Cottage Rescue. And at the time, there would have been a lot of ex uh, racers mm. and and the lurchers and stuff, and I wouldn't have had much um, interaction with those types of dogs up to that. Mm. And they were the nicest, most gentle, um, easy to handle, pure couch potatoes. Right, right. So you'd advise if people are looking for a pet, maybe they need to think about that. I think they definitely they're, they're definitely a pet uh, worth looking into. Yeah. Absolutely. And usually, now obviously dog to dog can vary depending on background and everything else, but generally speaking, they're very good with people and very good with children. But now obviously that, you know, and the rescue would would match the dog with a particular family. Yes. So that would be looked into. The Have you seen much of the post-COVID sort of thing that we all expected, that, you know, everybody was mad for a pet and then, of course, the, the normality um, yeah. resumed and all of a sudden they couldn't look after the pet. Do you I see much of that? We have. We've, I've been contacted personally and I don't, I'm not a rescue and I don't yeah. own dogs in general, but I'd be friendly with a lot of rescue people and I've been contacted just this week, three times for three different pedigree dogs that are looking for homes that were bought during... The, they're all coming in at two and three years old. And uh, lots of them have behavioural problems because initially bought from puppy farms, like unknowingly by the person. And um, coming in now two and three years old looking for... I, I know even that the pound, the Tipperary pound is overflowing with dogs. What is, how is this going to work out, Angie? What's I don't know what's going to happen, friend. Yeah. And I think we need badly legislation. And I think people are under the impression that these puppy farms are hidden and no one knows about them and they're illegal and everything else. And they're not. They're registered with councils generally. Obviously, there's some rogue traders. But in general, they're pumping out the puppies for hundreds and hundreds of euros with no care as to where they go or what happens them after. And then it's the tighter legislation that's enforced rather than just make the legislation and leave it sit there. When it's not enforced, it's no use. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, where the cats are concerned, then you can't take in any more, obviously, Angie. We're, yeah, yeah. We're, we're maxed out also. Like yeah. everybody else, we're literally, we um, neutered 119 cats this summer and we homed 28 kittens and now about 10 of those kittens have come back to be neutered so we've 18 uh, coming down the road towards us with no co- with no money to oh, pay for them to be neutered but you know we'll get there with we, we, every any animal that comes out of here Goes neutered. <laughs> that's a, that's our whole thing. <laughs> well, fair play. If people can help you out, Angie, people listening this morning, if they can help you out, how could they do that? Well, what we, we're actually very stuck. We we feed um, fifteen cats every day here in Cashel. That ones right. that we've neutered there, um, you know, straight and feral, and we've we've provided little houses for them or whatever. We feed them twice a day. And we're literally down to our last few cans of cat food. 
So uh, it's hard to provide 30 meals a day on nothing. So um, if people were interested, they can um, look us up there on Facebook, Cashel Feral Cat Project, if they want to donate some cat food or if they want to contact our vets, uh, British Vets Cashel, and donate um, a small amount towards our neutering costs, we'd be, um, we'd be delighted. Very good indeed. Well, well done on all of the, the hard work, Angie. And thanks for coming on with me today. Thank thanks you. Very Thank much you. Good, good morning Please to you. Bye bye now. That's bye. Angie McGrath there from Cashel and Angie of Cashel Feral Cats. And again, like uh, Paws and like the other uh, rescue homes as well, finding it difficult because the cost of living now means that people are, are tightening up in terms of, I suppose, what they can donate to, to the various charities. 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. And you're very welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp, 0833113311. Barbara joins me now. Barbara, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today. Um, and you too. The cost of vets, as far as you're concerned, it's it's pretty high. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? I, could, I actually couldn't believe it for a small dog because I remember I had Coco, who was a female Rottweiler, yeah. and it only cost me 160 And then Luna, she's a half of... Uh, 160 for what now, Barbara? Oh, to be sterilised. To be, to be neutered, yeah. Yeah, and that included the painkillers and, you know, the needle and the antibiotics. Yes. And the, what do you call the thing they put to sleep with the... Uh, oh, the ana- anaesthetic. Anaesthetic, yes. yeah. yeah. But um, I had to go back only for my door. It cost me €152. Euros. And I nearly had a heart attack. I thought it'd be around 100 Right. you know, for the size of her. Because she's tiny, like. And then um, only for my daughter Saturday, um, I had to get more painkillers. I didn't think three was enough for her because she was, you know, screaming and was pain. And I was, yeah. And I was awake all night with her. I couldn't settle. And then trying to keep Bear, the Rottweiler, away from her, he started, you know, barking and growling at her. And he's out the back now. She's in the kitchen. She's running around. You know, she's back to herself. But I just, the price, even I asked, like I said, she's due her booster. Yes. And, you know, the kennel cough, the fact that even though she's not in kennels, the fact that, you know, um, walking a dog, they're sniffing grass, yeah, you course. can't stop so, them. Yeah. So th- this is like a vaccine of some kind, is it? Yeah, so yeah. her booster yeah. and then the kennel cough. So I was expecting it to be around 55, 60, 75 euros. God, it's very expensive to have a dog, isn't yeah, it? But as I said in a text yesterday, I would go hungry. My dogs get the best of food. I would go hungry. They come first. Do they? Yeah. Well, I mean, my children come first. Yeah, I they're, know. They're I know. Like but they're so, they're so special to you. And yeah. nowadays, I mean, Angie was saying to, to us there about the cost of living affecting, you know, even people donating to charity and all of that. But, I mean, you must find it where even, even dog food is concerned. Do you find that has gone gone up? And... Do you know, I feel so bad. I don't know if I said this before in a text um, or when I was on the phone to you, that I had to cut Luna back on a cheap, cheaper food. 
I made my poor little dog so sick. I actually gave her scour and I was crying because she was crying. She was getting tummy aches and everything. Oh, Lord. And I felt so, so bad. I'm re- I'm a very, very soft person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd cry with Bambi, you know, the movie. <laughs> but, um, but there's nothing wrong happened, with that, Barbara. Yeah. I know, but what happened was she was on a leash, right. you know, the leash gain yeah. food. So I had to go back to that. That has gone up to 55 euros a, ba- a bag for 15 kg. And how long would that last you? Um maybe two months the way she's eating since she got sterilised she's having three meals a day she won't stop eating I don't know if that's because of the hormones are gone and she's just right so she's eating a lot yeah yeah which is good but Bear now his food his food has gone up by three euros Mm. so he's on engage I mean he has a very sensitive stomach you know for a Rottweiler you Mm. wouldn't think he has Mm. But he suffers from airborne allergies as well. And he gets, you know, sore eyes and ears and everything. Yes. So if I changed his food, yeah, if I changed his... Even if I gave him a treat, like I got new treats from two weeks ago Mm. and within a half an hour he was tearing at his ears. So I have bandages and, you know, socks. I tried to put them on him and he's going growling at me so... I just can't believe the amount. And with with years ago, you know, people on social welfare, mm. you know, you'd get sort of a discount. They do not do that anymore. And I think fat people, you know, on low income, they should let them pay off weekly. Like in any shop, you know, if you yeah. see something nice in a shop, like yes. I'm doing for my daughter, I'm paying off weekly. Mm. You know, in Allens and stuff like that. Yes, of course. Um, the only thing is people have businesses to run and I, I suppose, you know, with overheads and all of that, that can be difficult too, I suppose, you know. I know, but if you're fat, trusty and everything like that and yeah. you're there with, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what What is it about dogs? I, I, I often try to, to wonder about this, uh, Barbara. What is it about dogs that make them so special to us, do you think? Oh, they're just... My two are like humans. They actually are. They actually are. I mean, Luna is a little character. She knows when um, it's breakfast time. Yeah. And if I like, I take. I have to take my inhalers. That's the first thing before I do anything is take my inhalers. And she's growling at me and nipping the back of my leg, you know, gently, not to hurt me, like. And I'd be saying, in a minute, baby, in a minute, she has no patience. Mm. And then when I give her her food, she puts her little head on my, you know, my feet and looks up at me with the big brown eyes and then bear. Right. She just hugs me, you know, like he puts his head into me. That's a bear hug, as I call it. And he'd go out running around and he gets his treats and he's throwing his toys around. And they're just like if I'm having a really bad day. Yeah. They know. They just know, it's, and they're it, just there for me. It's incredible. They're so close to you, obviously. Well, yeah. And if anything ever happened, like I'm still not over Coco. She was my first Rottweiler. Yeah. And that was six years ago, and I'm still not over her. She was the one that got me out walking, you know, helped my anxiety. And I know Bear is good and everything like that, but we have a connection. But with her. She'd actually used to pull me up off the chair, you know, which on my knee, 
she'd grab my thing and pull me. You know, as if to say, yeah, they are so clever. Well, they're... they're... I just... You know, if I see cruelty to animals or anything, like, I'd go up to people and I'd say, how would you like if someone hit you? Uh, And I'm not afraid to confront them. And we've been been hearing so much about that over the last few days as well. It was lovely to talk to you, Barbara, and do look after yourself. And and thank you so much for coming on with me. Thank you. Thank you. You You too. You too. Bye bye. You know, that's uh, Barbara talking to us about her dogs there. 1800 938 007. Now, World Music. Delighted to welcome back one of our finest folk and traditional singers, uh, Karen Casey is bringing her all-star band to Clonmel on this coming Friday night. I'm delighted to say that she's in studio with me, along with uh, Jerry Lawless, who is the man behind uh, these series of gigs. And you're both very welcome. Karen, how are you? Good, good. Did good. you get lost? I got you? lost. Yes, we can blame Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, we're delighted to see oh, you anyway. Jesus, how, I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, calm, you can calm down. Thanks. Don't you? All, all will be, there's nothing as bad as getting lost. Oh, and, I mean, I've been on the road for 30 years so anyway look I'm delighted to be here well we're delighted to have you here as well how are things going for you Karen I mean it's Uh, been a roller coaster over the last few years yeah leaving Covid aside of course yes yeah Um, but actually you know it gave me a bit of time to kind of settle myself and obviously having the pandemic payment was brilliant yes and I was able to kind of take time to think about what I was doing and I'm actually flying I'm back I have three tours in the next three, four months. Yeah. And I'm just back. You know, I suppose I got myself organised on social media. I upskilled an awful lot on that. And you have to be Uh, on that now, haven't you? You you just do. And I'm not one really to... I can't... To be honest, I don't love it, but I just right. engage. I make myself do right. it. Well, you have to do it, you know. America has been fantastic to you over yeah, the years, hasn't it? it has, you know. And I, li- I lived in America myself for yeah. years, so I love what's good about America. Yeah. Um, but it's been a gift, yeah, to be able to to tour. Look, at, at this point, I just want to be able to continue, and I love doing what I do, and I've got a kind of a zest and a real energy at the moment. I've just made a new album. I love it. Yes. And I can't wait to come to Clonmel on Friday night and sing songs. Very good. Well, we're all looking forward to that as well. I was just looking at the list of some of the people you worked with and wow. I mean, James Taylor, Peggy Seeger, who yeah. I spoke to recently, in fact. Oh. Uh, even though she was very grumpy to me. Is she, <laughs> is she grumpy? <laughs> no, she's is not. She not? Well, she's I, a ticket. I just I mean, got her on a bad day, obviously, yeah. but um, she was a little bit grumpy, but yeah. she was great company. Yes, yeah, she, she is. She's direct. She's yeah. 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 Around That's a long time, you know, she's seen a lot. But I mean, what a legend! Yeah, you know? she's yeah. extraordinary. She's and she's been way ahead of her time, and yeah, uh, yeah she's a real role model now. For and me. you, you also worked with a, a guy who's a great hero of mine, Bella Fleck. Yes, Bella Fleck Tones, one of the greatest yeah. musicians in the world, I would say. Yeah, he's stunning. He's yeah. stunning and very nice fella, and very good at collaborating. Very kind and thoughtful about, you know, everyone in the room and then he starts playing and you're like, oh, jeez. Oh, it's just yeah. un- unbelievable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, and what about the Grand Ole Opry? How did you end up on the on the Opry stage? Well, that was with um, Tim O'Brien. Oh, was it? Yeah. A great song, rather, yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. was part of this kind of collaboration called The Crossing, which right. was kind of 
Tim's music and Irish music. He's obsessed with Irish music and I just was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time and right. was on a few tours with him and then we ended up in the Grand Isle Opry. Ah, isn't, yeah. it, isn't it great? Was there a highlight of all of that, of all that touring with Solace and all that? Was there something that sticks out to you that was... Um, there's so many. Yeah, like it's a whirlwind. I suppose I did do the Hollywood Bowl. Did you? Yes, wow. in... Um, Oh, Jesus, I don't know when it was. A while ago. A while ago, and that was a big gig. Yeah. But look, I mean, like, for me, I don't mind what size of an audience is there, as long as you try and make a connection. And I get a lot of energy back, you know, from the room. I do, and I'm really pleased that people still come to the gigs. I'm really delighted to be with Neve Dunn and Sean O'Graham and Niall Vallelee. That's your band, yes, is it? Okay. Yeah. And, and that's the band that will be with you on Friday yes, night too, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I feel very supported and loved and, you know, what yeah. else could I be ask, and, asking? And that's so important as well. Are you able to do a song for us today? I will, yeah. Would you? Do you mind if I stand up? I don't mind okay. if you stand up at all. I'll probably sing the, mm-hmm. the Google Directions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a nice idea for a song too, wouldn't it? <laughs> Do you want to pull that mic up towards you there so yeah, that you can uh, sort of sort yourself out and stuff? Um, and it's, it's awful to ask a musician before 12 o'clock to sing a song, but we'd be delighted to hear you, Karen, if no that's bother. okay. What, what will you do? Um, I might do a new song. Um, uh, it's called Nine Apples of Gold, and it's the title track of my new um, album. And it's all about... Um, women bringing, carrying tunes and songs and bringing a lot of healing with that and um, bringing healing into the world for people uh, with their Excellent. Is this your own song? Yeah. 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 Excellent. Excellent. Okay. A woman came carrying nine apples of gold apples of gold on a she sang a tune of springtime in How sweetly the apples sing How sweetly the apples sing A woman came carrying a tune of the wind That dandled upon a
a heart full of love, loving with all of her might. Her pilgrim's soul so bright, how sweetly the apples sing, how sweetly the apples sing. Here, how the music it heals. Here, how the music it heals. My apple tree, my brightness, my apple tree, a store. My apple tree, my brightness. Hear how the music it heals. Hear how the music it heals. Oh, was that absolutely going? What a beautiful song. Thank beautiful you. Beautiful song and a beautiful voice as well. Uh, needless to say, that's that's gorgeous. Jerry Lawless is uh, with us. Jerry is behind uh, Clanmel World Music, of course, and they're presenting Karen in Raheen House on this coming uh, Friday night. Another gem, I have to say, Jerry. Uh, absolutely. Be- Wasn't that a great performance? Thank you, friend. It's amazing. It's unfortunate your viewers can't see, but yeah. when these artists get up and sing, considering the stress Karen has been under the last half yeah, hour, I know. coming from the Nair Valley to here, um, <laughs> it's amazing. It's just, it does your heart good you know and it's it's amazing tonic to hear that kind of music ah, and to just do that like that and it's 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 absolutely a privilege to be absolutely. able to bring absolutely and uh, Karen <laughs> will be there with uh, her all star band on this coming Friday night yeah. uh, as well what, what about tickets Jerry? just yeah, to remind uh, people again we, we have tickets you have just three sources for tickets Fran we sell them online on uh, Um you can also uh, ring on 086 338 9619 and I can sort out tickets and we will have a limited number of tickets available on the door on the night that's this Friday night the 11th in Raheen House the doors open at 8 and the show will be on at 9 very good will you give that phone number just one more time yeah it's 086-338-9619 right support is vitally important Jerry, because you want to keep bringing artists of this calibre to Raheen and uh, it's important that people would support it indeed. I was very interested uh, to read as well, Karen, that you you began really singing jazz. I did. I mean, I I um, I have quite an eclectic background. Yeah. Uh, I well, I had the tremendous uh, honour of um, in first class when I was in Ballyduff in yeah. the National School. There was a woman called Mrs. Four and our teacher. She was she's an amazing woman. She taught the whole village of Ballyduff how to swim. And she also used to bring us to her house and we'd uh, learn traditional songs. She's from Ken Mayer originally. And she kind of, I suppose, nurtured a love of the tradition yes. in a very informal way. We didn't really know we were learning. She was singing. She'd be, she had her daughters, Maura, um, 
uh, and Fanula sometimes uh, teaching the younger members of her family. She ten children, mm. and us, and she'd be making biscuits, and we'd be having the crack. And so, it was a beautiful way to learn. Of course, a real gentle way yeah. to learn, with no pressure, I yes. suppose. Then. Yeah. yeah. And where did the jazzy thing come in? So then? then, when I, I suppose, really like I'm a big like Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, pops, pop songs, yeah. you know, yeah. um, like most people uh, growing up, and then. I had the traditional songs as well and then I had uh, hymns and things from mm. church but I, I went to Dublin in 1987 mm. and I just sort of was exposed to jazz I actually got a part in the musical in Greece uh, um, in UCD and I auditioned and sang Blue Moon well, right. And, um, the Marcells, I yes, mean, a great song too. Yeah, yeah. Lovely song. And then um, the saxophonist there, Larkin Fulham, who's since passed away, he said to me, do you ever sing jazz? And he said, I think your voice would be great for jazz. And I said, no, not really. Um, and he bought me an Ella Fitzgerald album. So you started Porter. with the best. Oh my God, <laughs> I've never looked back. Yeah. I love it and I really love jazz. Uh, I love all music, to yeah. be honest, but I have a particular uh, penchant for 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 jazz and so then I found myself emigrating to America like a lot of people in the late 80s because of the yeah. the recession, downturn the recession three yeah. recessions ago yeah. and um and then of course like a lot of emigrants you go back to your own and your where you came from and I was very held uh, within that community in New York yes and found my just was very lucky I I I met musicians like of the caliber of Winifred uh, Horan and uh, Seamus Egan and John Doyle and then we decided to make a band and John Williams and that became solace, solace yeah. so I went from great wait- success too. Yeah, yeah brilliant um I went yeah. from waitressing and being a nanny and uh, um, I actually blagged my way into this job in in scholastic science books. I don't know how I got it, but I was the editor of science books. Wow. Uh, Assistant editor and I'm not good at science. (laughs) So I gave all those up and went on the road. And I haven't looked back since. And and, uh, you won't be looking back either. And uh, you'll be getting a great welcome on Friday night, Raheen. And just uh, once again, just to remind people about the tickets, Jerry. Yeah, uh, the tickets are online, clanmelworldmusic.com. If you ring 086-338-9619 and we'll have a limited number available on the door on the night in Raheen. And can I just thank Jerry for all his work. And he's amazing and really, you know, and support... Please support him for all his gigs and sure. uh, not just this one. It's important to go to live music. For sure, indeed. Love to see you, Karen. Thank Best of luck to you Friday night and for the rest of your career as well. And always good to see you, Jerry. Thanks very much indeed. That's it uh, from me. We're li- out and about uh, tomorrow. I have an easy one because it's uh, pretty close to my home. We'll be live from Dundrum, from Centra in Dundrum from 9 o'clock uh, tomorrow morning. If you're in the area, uh, drop on by and say hello. That's it for me. Emma Produce Stephen is on the way. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye now. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.